I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Katie Jane Hughes is a British celebrity and editorial makeup artist based in Brooklyn, New York. Her clients include the likes of Ashley Graham, Haley Bieber, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, and Kate Bosworth. When she's not on set or working with clients, Katie is sharing her extensive knowledge of beauty tips and tutorials on Instagram, where she has amassed a cult community of beauty enthusiasts over 600,000 to be exact. Katie Jane, welcome in my chair. Thank you so much. I'm so I'm so honored to be here and I'm so excited to meet you verbally and to chat Me and too. hang out. Do people call you Katie Jane? No. I mean my okay. my family just call me Kate or crisp for lack of a better term because I used to eat potato chips a lot when I was a teenager and that kind of stuck so um <laughs> so yeah my brother once my brother's friend once was like we're gonna have to start calling you Katie Crisp because you eat too many crisps and yeah now my whole family. everyone wants to be named after exactly right so yeah That's no so it's funny. just Katie Katie Jane actually is Jane is my middle name but katiehughes.com wasn't available so I was like screw it I'm gonna have to use my middle name so I could just get katiejanehughes.com I didn't want I like, like Katie the way. Jane yeah it feels like English. <laughs> Katie Jane, it's like, you know, Mary J. I, I don't know. I think it has that's a good amazing. ring to it. Well, um, good, I didn't know you lived in Brooklyn, actually, because now with Instagram and everything, you don't really know where, I mean, people could live in Alaska and Honestly. you wouldn't really need to know. Honestly, it's so true. So I am excited to talk to you today. And I've got a notepad because I have a lot of things that I could learn from you. And that's actually what I've been loving about having a podcast is that Everybody has such a different skill set and come to this industry or, you know, from different in different paths. And Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about your path. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you first got into the industry of glamour. You know, it was funny. I definitely didn't get into it the traditional way just by assisting artists. I actually got into it as a manicurist. So I was in London uh, working. I, I basically out of college, out of school, I was a bit of a everything school dropout school wasn't my strong suit at all. And my mom was a singer when she was working like a lounge pubs, clubs, jazz clubs type singer. And she always had these gorgeous long red acrylic or French manicured nails. Like always oh, it was her yes. thing. Red lip, loads of black mascara, the biggest backcombed hair. Like honestly, she should have been from somewhere like Dallas. If you, if you didn't know she was English, you'd think maybe that's where she was from. So, you know, she was like, she's like the epitome of glamour in my household from our household. And she, he was like, why don't you go learn, you know, how to do nails. And it's just a good craft and skill set to just fall back on in life. And I was like, okay, cool. So I did. I went and learned how to do nails in a nail shop, acrylics, manicures, nail art, all that kind of stuff. This was in a really small town in the North of England, like 40 minutes, uh, just North of Liverpool. So, and what, what's the accent like there? If you could just paint that for us, oh, can you do it? Well, the, instead of saying, this is, this is a great question. You're so good at this. This. Okay. So I talk a bit different now because I'm married to uh, my, my American husband, who's also half Egyptian. So his family find it hard to understand me. And yet I live in the States. And so I talk fast anyway. Right. So if I was talking to my whole family, I'd probably talk a bit more like I'd say, instead of saying the word, the name Claire, like Claire, Claire Danes or Claire Danes, I'd say Claire. And I'd Claire. say, and instead of saying hair, I'd say her. Like I'm going to the hairdressers, or I'm. Go- it's it's such a like lazy like there's a lo- there's a lowness to it. But then 20 minutes and an the road, R like yeah. a hard R. Oh, 100. Uh-huh. And it's funny. My cousin once brought out. He was like, British people often do this thing where the, we add an R to the end of things where there isn't an R. Like we'd say China is a huge country, 
what I just added an R at the end of China. China is. China. China is. I, or Nicola is my sister. Nicola is my sister instead of, you know what I mean? It's weird. But yeah, I, we you know, a, people from the South here do that, I think, ooh. like um, vodka. You know, oh, yeah, vodka yeah, okay. soda. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. That up. yeah. No, I don't. I think I think there's. I think that's true. But um, yeah, the accent. It's really funny in England. The accent changes every twenty miles you drive. I can't even understand. Like I remember being in the UK and someone said I asked someone for directions and I just like nodded as if I understood what they said and was like I don't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> it's really funny. It's like you go to like well. I, where my dad's from is Liverpool and in Liverpool they talk like that and like my cousins are actually called Quinn their last name is Quinn and they call themselves the Quinnies and so <laughs> they say should we go to the pub for like for a pint and get a bite to eat and like you know maybe go watch a film they don't say film they say film but they're not Irish they're not Irish I thought Quinn was just an Irish name I think it, it, I mean you said of, they're from Liverpool but Liverpool you know. is very like Liverpool is a mix of a bit, a bit of Irish and a bit of Scottish and a bit of something else, I think. So that's probably why they've got the weirdest accent in all of England. But it's the best accent. It's Jodie Comer's accent. It's my favorite accent in the world. <laughs> Lots it's of ho- bits. It's home. Yeah, little bit. And shit. Little bit. <laughs> um, okay, so wait. So you're a manicurist out so of practicality because yes. you're just like some people are right. always going to need acrylics. Right. And it was like my fallback on job. So then I kind of moved down to London, wanted to just like – get out of my hometown, you know, small town, sort of everybody knows each other kind of energy. And so I started working in a nail shop that didn't really pan out. I knew I wanted to do makeup. I was always infatuated with makeup. I think watching my mom, my mom like get ready for a gig on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday night and just go from this mom of four children at home doing housework to then turning into this stage queen where she'd like own the room and like just she was so glam so you know makeup was like in my it's been in my vein since I was a baby because of that and so um yeah but it wasn't possible to make a living doing makeup in the town that you're from but you could um I could have done like bridal stuff I guess and like more you, you would have been more like a beauty therapist back at the time you know versus anything else and then you're lumped into everything with that beauty therapist tag like you do everything under that you know um so yeah moved away got into worked at space nk started doing a bit of like the retail vibe that we do sometimes that some of us have done and then kind of i worked at the one on west Grove in notting hill really close to premier hair uh, premier hair and makeup and really close to clm so a bunch of these hair like cassandra from clm a, a formerly of clm would come in all the time and you know i would i would be you know servicing all these big agents and all these big hair and makeup artists that were coming in to shop for bits for their kit and stuff and um, it was a great opportunity to sort of mingle and network. And yeah, I just one day asked outright um, Alexandra Byrne, I was like, can I assist you? Like, I would love to work with you if she, and if you ever need any spare hands. And I think I did like a college, at a college fashion show type of thing. One of those college ones that was like sponsored by Mac at the time. And uh, I never looked back, loved it. But yeah, but Nails how, was... So, so when you when you went from doing Nails, nails to asking that person, can I right. assist you? What? Right. How did you then get to so, be... It was where you are a makeup because, artist. Let's say. Well, yeah, totally. So because I was like fluent and sort of very established in nails, I was essentially going out as a nail tech on some jobs and kind of getting to a bit, if you like, network on those jobs with the crew and like you know meet people. But then I was also getting well known that. I was also trying to go into the makeup space. So then therefore some makeup artists would hire me as their assistant because they knew I could do nails. So it kind of give, it gave me this weird little niche that, you know, sometimes back then 10, 15 years ago, you were expected to do the nails if you were the makeup artist, which is kind of crazy, but 
you know, even, even still, I'm sure some people expect you to have a bit of nail stuff in your kit. Not very much, yeah. but sometimes you, know, you get asked and it's always sometimes a no. you get asked and it's like exactly as it should be. You know, you <laughs> gotta keep no. that work. Totally. You gotta keep that work for them. And also it's not your job to like have to worry about that. So, you know, it was a weird, unique situation that kind of made it hard to cross over, but essentially um I basically assisted doing did did my own nail gigs full rate like proper like as the artist and then did a few assisting jobs on the side and then I kind of just like kept the makeup coming up and 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 then when I moved to the US that was my opportunity to sort of rebrand a little bit in this whole new uh landscape and this new town when you were switching over were you ever worried that other makeup artists would find you threatening oh 100% and I felt like you know I've been there was a lot of that energy from different agents too about like oh just stick to nails you're going to be trying for 10 years to try and make it in makeup here and you know it's so competitive which it is of course and it's it's a fun job and when it pays well it pays well and but you don't work every day so therefore that's why it pays well so you know it's hard because yeah there was that energy but I just always felt like I don't know. I always just felt like I actually feel like I was a better artist in the makeup space than I was nails. So it didn't ever feel like it was the wrong choice, if that makes sense. Right. And then it's interesting to me is that you used one vehicle to get to the one that you actually wanted to go to, right? You took one platform and you did, you did it to your best ability to get to a more desirable one that was makeup. How did you know that that was going to pay off? I didn't, I guess I just kind of, I always, you know, I think what was my like kind of guiding light was the fact that in a weird kind of way was like the fact that when I was on, you know, when I was an nail tech, I was keying shows like between here and here in London uh, at Fashion Week. And I always remember the makeup artists were kind of leading the everything. Like I was on a show once with, I was on a, I think it was Alice Tempoli with Val and Val was like, oh yeah, for nails, we should do this, this and this. And I like, was like, oh my God, this is so interesting. Like sometimes the artist who has the most authority on the job is actually kind of leading just as much, just as the stylist would. And I thought that was really interesting. And I guess I kind of used that as an interesting perspective when I was pitching myself for jobs for makeup, because I was like, I wasn't necessarily saying I'm going to direct the manicurist at all, but I was understand. I, I was, I was coming from a space of being a manicurist. So I almost had a deeper understanding of this manicurist element and overall being able to understand what the overall picture should look and feel like. And the overall vibe should look and feel like, um, but I you yourself, when you were like, cause I always hated for my whole life. I, I just always hated having a job that wasn't in the thing that I actually wanted to yes. do. And I'm not yes. good at it. Right. I go like, this is terrible. There's nothing redeeming yeah. about it. Right. I hate this. Um, and were you like that or were, did you find like, how did you find a way to enjoy that kind of platform until you got to where you wanted to go? I think because I think I enjoyed it, honestly, just because I'm very much a people. I like being with people and I like meeting new people and I like being social. Um, so I think I enjoyed it because it kept me doing all of those things and it kept me networking um, into, you know, sort of the crowds that I wanted to network into. I guess social media really helped me, though, because social media gave me the opportunity to post makeup looks on myself or on my clients and therefore be able to bring that makeup up more and more and more and just post less and less nail stuff. I think it's so funny. You're like, I love being around people. And then we're all at home, like <laughs> on which social media too, alone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Which I also love. I love my own, it's my own space. It's funny. It's, I'm like a full hybrid of the two, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I read that you started doing makeup on yourself because you couldn't get booked on the types of editorial that you could be as creative as you wanted to be. You Can know, you tell I, me about that? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know 
whether it was more so much I couldn't or more that I just felt like I wasn't okay. I'll put it this way. I feel like I got into social media in a time when I had when when in social media was very much a heavy kind of glam like thick brows that looked really intense cakey foundation like and, you know when it was the opposite of what we're taught to do in the you know fashion and fashion celebrity industry so I kind of got into that space and I was like okay I want to make this I want to turn what it is that we do on set and what we've been taught how to make skincare how to make foundation not look visible I want to bring that to a platform the platform of Instagram and, but show it off with really cool, colorful, fun details that I actually would want to be doing on shoots of my own. So, I mean, I was getting to work. I just wasn't necessarily getting to do the really creative, bold, bright editorials just because I guess maybe at the time it was all very like, you know, there was specific people getting those jobs for sure. But at the time it was very just, you know, the row kind of vibes, like just a little bit of, a little bit of concealer on the eye and a little concealer around the nose. And then everything else is left alone with balm and just brushed up eyebrows. So I think that was where I felt a little bit like, okay, this is where I'm going to play. I'm going to play in this colorful space, show how a regular woman can walk down the street with bold, colorful eye on and not look daft and look kind of cool. Like it's fashion statement. It's an accessory. Um, You did something very smart though, because, and it's funny because I first heard about you from my friend Bryce Scarlett, who's a hairstylist. Oh yeah. We met when I, when I worked with Emmy one time, he said, you got to check out this makeup mm-hmm. artist. She does yeah. a really good job of like showcasing her makeup on Instagram, but it's really interesting. And also like, I feel like you were able to take that audience for on Instagram who was looking at that other type of makeup, but take them with you into, into what you found to be, inspiring or beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Does that and make I, sense? Totally. Totally. And I, I just wanted to almost like educate, Hey, there's another side of makeup that exists. It's not just obviously on Instagram. It was all very much this one side. And I kind of wanted to, you know, show off what it is that we've spent years to sort of craft and learn. And I just remember this quote that, uh, that Shira Mora had said one time, and it was, it's harder to do makeup on a man than it is on a woman because you cannot let it be visible, especially if it's just men's grooming. Versus oh like, God. you know, traditional makeup now that everybody wears and loves it. And I love it. And I'm here for it. I'm here for this bold statement of makeup that, you know, people are leaning into. Um, and I, I I'm going to get that, that tattooed on my thigh. Right? That was me this summer, like trying to oh do makeup on myself for tutorials. <laughs> like, oh. It's, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it just always stuck with me, that one. That's great. Um, when you came to the States, you started getting more into Instagram you were your kind of muse in a way. Yeah. Was that yeah. strange to have to be the you model know, or what did that really. feel like? It, you know, it felt sometimes I've definitely had my fair share of like energy from the industry about what it is that I put out into the world, especially on social. Um, what does that mean? That means in reference to what Hung posted last night about someone saying to him, you know, that it's bad that you're posting YouTube now. Like it's this energy from the fashion industry that like we shouldn't be on social media. I definitely felt that sometimes, but I also didn't really give a shit because I'm just like, well, listen, the the progress the progression is the the progression of the industry is going into a more digital space. We are having. I kind of felt like my Instagram was my own little editorial to create what it is that I wanted to create on, and obviously that being more on my own face was 
beneficial in two reasons. I think it gave me an opportunity to show my clients that were booking me like, hey, here's what you can do because I wore that and it looked fine. It looked, you know, cool on me. And if you're going to go out to an event, this is what it can look like on you. Like every single celebrity client that I work on pretty much always look at my Instagram for a reference. And they look and at re- and of they me say, and they say, I want it. you to do yep. this. Yep. And it's bonkers. It's like my lookbook. So it's, you know, and I never knew in a million years that that would actually pan out that way. I was honestly just educating, you know, people that are either makeup fans or makeup artists, not educating, but like showing them like, you know, here's a cool color combination to try, or here's this texture contra- contrast to try or whatever. So I didn't and you know just genuinely to... don't give a shit about what the fashion people would say. I, I don't, I used to. And I understand how like a lot of younger artists that are still assisting that also want to kind of play in that social space. Like my assistant feels this way, like a lot. She, you know, I, I see that there's this energy there. Like one time I think a stylist saw my Instagram and she was like, oh my God, is that you? We were on set at Spring or somewhere or Jack. She's like, is that you? And I was like, yeah. She was like, wow, do you show your Instagram like to photographers and to like people on set? And I'm like, no. She's like, okay, yeah, that's probably for the best. And I was just like, listen, needs this? and I get it. I get it. I don't, I don't show it off because I understand that like, that's the energy and that's the, the belief. Well, also is. like what a great opportunity for someone to like put you down or show. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Right. Which is like, right. you know, that anybody who worked to, in this industry has felt. Right. And we don't, like that. 100%. We don't all have to work the same way. We don't all have to have the same exact cookie cutter career because honestly, like, there isn't really any room for that anymore. It is getting more competitive. So the more that we have to, you know, a little mold, mold into our own little lane, honestly, the better because then that means even more work for everybody because we can all just do our thing. So where does this attitude of expansion and sharing and, that there is enough for everybody to go around come from when everything is so competitive? I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's always, we all have something different to offer, even if we're offering the same thing. Like I'm going to put eyeliner on different to how you would put eyeliner on and vice versa. And you, we all know that it's also about personality and that combination of the, that, that relationship personality, the personality relationship between, between a client and uh, talent as well. So, I mean, there's so many factors into it that that's why I kind of feel like there's enough to go around because it's not just one thing. There's a lot. So what, what we're referencing is an artist who's actually, we both know, um, Hung Van Gogh put a, a screenshot on his Instagram last night that was, didn't include names, but another artist in our industry, um, whoever it is, was really kind of, uh, said their dissatisfaction with him starting a YouTube channel because these are industry secrets and that if you're giving them all away, basically it takes the value out of the artist. And what would you reply to that? I replied, I said, thanks so much for posting this. And I, I said, I was DMing with him just saying the same thing, repeating that. But you know, somebody actually DM'd me with, cause I shared it in my stories. Somebody DM'd me the most incredible analogy. And she said, you're not going to watch. It's like, it's like somebody watching soccer or football or some kind of sport on the television and then saying that, oh, they're giving all their trade secrets away. They shouldn't be doing that because somebody else is going to go out and be a footballer as well. That's crap. Like, it's not just that what it's not so top line. Like, Hung has been working for however many years, for 20 years on his craft, first of all. Second of all, he's going to do it different to the next person. And third of all, he's him and somebody else is themselves. And I think that that's where the disconnect is so bizarre it's like it's not that straightforward and also just let people live the best lives let people mold into the career that they want to mold themselves into because that is the way that the career is going and i think the industry is going and i think you with your podcast is brilliant i think we all have to have another thing nowadays and maybe it's not what we kind of thought we were signing up for but it's not bad it's just the natural progression of how something flows you know 
I think it's, I'm shocked at a lot of things, the way that they're changing. I think it's a generational thing, although I don't oh, know the person who sent that could be 20. When I was an assistant and in this industry, there was very much like, you don't see what happened on the other side of that studio wall. And right. there wasn't a sharing of it. And it was kind right, of secretive right. and also right. somewhat competitive and not in like a good way. <laughs> You know, I think in that way, the industry has really changed. And then when I talk to people who are like, you should go on Clubhouse and look at this person's tutorial, there is this kind of, um, I mean, even like brands kind of collaborating together that you think would Mm -hmm. be competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is kind of this sharing of knowledge. Right, right. Um, But I just don't think, I think, I think. Tell me about that. I just think we're stronger together. I think that the more information that we all, obviously within reason, I think that it's just good to be collectively together as a creative and as a creative group of people. And I don't really know what that looks like fully, but I think, you know, just things like, I don't know, I'm just going to be super random and talk about like something about rates. Like I don't necessarily know what the right way to be able to communicate with one another is about what the rates should be for something. But I think that I just remember specifically a hairdresser about 15 years ago telling me that one day somebody's going to get offered a big, big, amazing beauty, a big, big, amazing campaign for this big, amazing fashion house. And the rate is going to be hardly anything. And they're going to do it for the cloud. And that is what's going to set the industry on this downward spiral of where the rates are going to change. And I think it's that energy that I'm talking about. And like, how do we figure out a way to harness this, especially for people that aren't necessarily with agents and that don't have that typical, you know, style of representation anymore. And I just wonder how, how do we protect the industry and the rates of the industry, but also look out for one another and make sure that everybody's being treated the right way. And that's what I mean about the collective. Absolutely. I mean, when I, I remember when it was like, you never discuss rate and it was like a big thing. Like if you, if your agent found out that you were talking about the rate on set, like you would get reprimanded. It was terrible. And that I really, truly, because it would get back to somebody and they're like, they're paying you more and they're making less and there's all this stuff. I did with like retail, people are way more um, upfront about um, like Everlane and stuff like that, like about how much and how much is getting to consumer. Right. And it, right, right. It, you it know, it's almost it. yeah, it's it, great. Yeah. I yeah. have a friend who doesn't have an agent anymore and asked me about a big job that we did together. And I was nervous about it because that was my background being like, you're going to get in trouble. Um, right, and and right. to be honest, my agent was actually like, yeah, it's fine. We should be right. making the same. Right. And, you know, right. And that's different. That's new. Right. Yep. I want to ask you about like, I don't know if you're like me, but the more I see myself on my phone, on FaceTime, on the camera, it's just like, there's always like, oh, you know, like this moment. How do you look at yourself or even like editing a video and not have an a, a more attachment to the way you look, I guess I would say? Um, you know, I don't, I definitely, I don't know. I guess I... I think because makeup is so transformative and I think that I really do try and make myself kind of look quite different in some ways when I play with my makeup on myself. Um, I think that that helps because it's almost like I'm kind of looking at a different person in a weird way sometimes, especially when I like really play up different hair shapes and styles and textures and whatnot. But, you know, honestly, I don't really, it's become so natural to me that it doesn't really, I don't really bother. It doesn't bother me. And I've always been like quite a, I don't know, I've always been, I don't want this to come across any kind of way, but I've always been like confident in myself and confident in the way that I age and, you know, confident in things moving and, and, okay, and okay with that, you know, like I You've definitely been like that your it. whole life. 
Um, definitely not, but I've leaned into it more. I think that we're in this, you know, place nowadays where, you know, people are showing off, you know, different body parts in different ways. Like I'm, I'm definitely from that generation where like you are supposed to look flattered in every single piece of clothing you wear and shouldn't show any like, you know, sort of, what do you call it? Like muffin tops and you, you know, everything should be neat mm-hmm. and b- beautiful. And I think no that, one has like, cellulite. Right. And I think like, you know, working with somebody like Ashley Graham, like that is, she is one of my absolute favorite clients purely because every time I'm with her, I literally leave feeling even more confident in my own skin because of just how she is. So, so incredibly confident in her own skin and it's, it's infectious. And I think people like Ashley and other people that are body, body, super body positive are just changing that for everybody and making it even more, um, even more acceptable to love yourself in all of the shapes and sizes and forms and textures of our skin and whatever it might be. Love that. So how does that influence your, um, your feeling about, uh, doing things to your face, like with a dermatologist or injectables or you know, anything? I, I've done like a little Botox here and there and I've done, well, I say I've done it. I like went in to have half, I went in to have Botox done and then I was supposed to go back the following week to finish the job, but I kind of got nervous because basically I have a, th- I have a thyroid disease and I decided to Google after the fact if Botox is okay if you have a thyroid disease. And then it was like, actually, no, you shouldn't put any toxins in your body objects. If you have a thyroid disease. Uh-huh. So then I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to finish this. So I didn't. And I had like filler one time and I was just like, okay, I didn't really notice a difference. I've kind of dabbled as an adult, like definitely in my 30s. My, and I, I totally am like for people doing it if they want to do it and if it makes them feel great. I think that it's really, there's no right or wrong. There's no shame. If you want to do, if you want to leave your wrinkles, if you want to leave your gray hair to, to rock, then do it. If you want to go for threads and you want to go for filler, then you should also do that. And there should be no shame either side. I think the, the, the beef that I have a little bit with the in, industry of augment, augmentation is a lot of like really young kids doing it and wanting to get like, I, I feel like it's not the same anymore, but I feel like a couple of years ago, like every 50, every 16, 17 year old was asking for like lip filler for Christmas because of, you know, a certain demographic. And I'm just like, why? Like, this is wild. And it, it, it should like grow into your face first and like, just see what, see, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. That used, um, to, that used to kind of rub me up the wrong way. Um, so do you think that, that people are doing that less? I, I'm not even sure you about know, that. I don't know. I guess I just don't, maybe I'm just not noticing it as much. Maybe I just don't notice it as much as before, but I feel like I just, there was a lot of younger people seeming to, seeming to lean into that kind of world, which again is like, okay. I mean, I think that's on the dermatologist too, though. And a dermatologist, a good dermatologist would probably turn away a child that was too young to have something done like that. But well, yeah. right. And there's also a difference between trying to preserve and also trying right. to completely 100%. change 100%. the way that you look. Right. And I think as makeup artists, we probably appreciate a face that has some unique elements to it versus this perfect picture, perfect, you know, face that feels like it, you know, that looks like everybody else. I think, you know, I love it. Void of character. Yeah, totally. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you don't have an agent and I assume that that's by choice because I'm, any agency would take you. Does that mean that you enjoy the business aspect of, of the industry or of your job? So I was definitely without an agent. I was without an agent for about eight years since I, for about eight, for the past eight years, I have had a, a personal manager for the past two years, which takes a lot of the sort of strain away. Um, she Can you explain what the difference is? Most of us know, but a lot of people listening don't know okay. the difference between what okay. an agent does and a personal manager. 
So I guess the typical agent would be, you know, a group of agents in a, in a company like like a work group or like a uh, whichever that would obviously represent a bunch of different talent, and uh, they have all these contacts and they have all this network and this really really big sort of roster of people and roster of contacts and so on and so forth. And um, the difference I think between that and what I'm doing is I have a personal manager who is basically very close friend of mine who was a PR person and. I have a, it's a unique setup because I, all of my jobs were always coming from PR people anyway, because of social media, like brands would reach out to me through the PR person and say, Hey, uh, I'm working with this client, uh, this beauty brand, they want to make about us X, Y to do X, Y, and Z. And because pretty much 90% of all of my jobs and all of my work came from a PR person, I knew that I wanted a PR person to represent me because I also then knew that PR people are seeing both sides. They're seeing the client side of the business, but they're also seeing the talent side of the business because they're hiring talent on behalf of the client of the client. So I really saw that that was, I really felt like that was the place that I wanted to go based on just where all of my work had come from. Like I hadn't necessarily had the opportunity to be with an agent as I was growing. And then as I guess, as soon as Instagram kind of, you know, gave me a bit more uh, visibility, I guess, like agents started to come, come and reach out and, you know, agents started to about two years ago, launch a lot of influencer divisions and stuff. And I think that that's great. Um, I didn't necessarily want to be positioned in an influencer category on an agent because I don't actually fully identify as an influencer. I know a lot of people probably think of me that way, but I a hundred percent identify as a makeup artist that just happens to influence on social media through my art and through my craft. So, you know, I, I didn't want to be positioned in that space in one of the agencies. So I kind of just didn't ever feel like there was a right space for me there. So when once I was talking to somebody and my really good friend, April, who's now my manager, overheard me saying, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for the right person to leave her job in a PR office and come work with me and do my stuff. And that's kind of how it goes. And it's great. And it's we've been doing it now for two years together. And it's amazing. That's so smart that you had the insight to think I want someone from a PR background. Yeah, it's just that like, and also having being a public face and having like visibility on something like on, you know, a platform like Instagram. It's also nice to know that you've got somebody there that like, you can bounce ideas off who understands like how PR PR works fully like to her core, but she also understands like how to book a talent on behalf of client, you know? So it just felt, it felt right. And also her having my best interest because she's my friend first and foremost. So now that you're an art, you're an artist, but you also um, have taken control of the business side of your job because you don't have an agency, but you do have someone you work with. How much of your day to day has to be thinking about, business versus just being this creative force um like 10 percent probably we just go through like every day me and april get on the phone and we just like have a little chat about what's coming and products to be looking out for that are coming through the door um certain jobs that are coming in and like do we want to do this do we not want to do this like is this something you would want to do um and that kind of thing so yeah it's great i'm i'm surprised because when i looked at your instagram it's so um thoughtful like you have the link tree and you have every all these different things and then to me it seems like you are so good at like kind of doing that part of the industry yeah well so i think you know i don't honestly update all that stuff that much i um i kind of just let it sit there i wanted to have a space where my website was listed but also a few other things that you know are relevant to my instagram were listed so linktree is actually super helpful because you can literally just pop everything in there and right. hopefully you know people take the initiative to go look in there and see what's up do you look at analytics and and at what things you post that do well I do. Yeah. And that's like, that's my downfall on Instagram that I get a little bit in my head when content doesn't do well. And I, I think that's just the artist in me and that like, you know, 
protectiveness that I have over my craft and just feeling like I love something. Wow. Why didn't it do well? But I also understand that like Instagram is a business and they, it's, there's an analytical, you know, behind the scenes happening and you can't always sometimes control what, how a piece of content does. So it gets, it gets difficult sometimes because it's, there is a bit of a constant pressure to be creating and to be doing this and to be, you know, and sometimes I'm like, wow, would I want to feel like this way forever? And, you know, it kind of that that feels a little heavy on me sometimes but then at the same time like it's probably not going to be this way forever because some things something things are always going to change things are always going to evolve you know I want to create a brand a little bit something a bit different and you know make my mark there so we'll see what happens but yeah you post regularly you've it seems like you've got a system or a way of going how do you like keep from just like getting on the sofa and not (laughs) involved well, there's definitely days where I do that, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better when I'm doing versus when I'm not, I kind of like being, I really like being busy. I don't like being stupid busy, but I like having something to do. So I guess that's easy. And I also really enjoy the therapy of painting my face and just doing something, whether it's like going through products and checking out what's coming in. And, you know, I think, I think that, and that's just kind of my natural way of working when I'm working from home. Um, and as far as like, the consistency part and being consistent with content, that's, I guess, where it gets quite preciousome, if that's even a word. Like, you know, I kind of want to be consistent with my content because I feel like there's an expectancy to that. Um, But Everyone says that that, that's the key to having a successful social media. Right. And so it's that can like weigh on you a little bit. And, you know, I wish that it wasn't really the way and it was more just like organic, you know, you could have four or five days off the social channels and come back and it would be great, but I don't necessarily know whether that's the case. So you do feel this pressure to keep up, keep it up all the time. And it's a lot. And then you feel like sometimes, Oh wow, maybe I'm watering down my content a little bit. And I don't know, it was weird because like right back at when lockdown happened, I remember feeling quite anxious about this was back in March of 2020. I remember feeling quite anxious about it. Like, Oh wow. That we all have to stay home. This is so like crazy. This is wild. But then I remember just like forcing myself into content and putting on outside clothes getting myself ready for the day. That was my therapy. And it was, and I did it every day, like, like a book. It was like, it was like, I was just turning a page in the book and each page, it was the same kind of story, but I would do something different on my face every day. And it was my probably most ever, my most favorite creative time with myself because it was very regimented. It was almost uh, ritualistic. And, um, I don't know what it was, but, and I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of get that back because it's like, I'm a morning person, but if I don't wake up at a certain time, if I don't kind of start my day, the right way then everything else kind of falls. does that ever happen to you like if you don't set if your day doesn't start kind of how you, how it's supposed to does then your day kind of go by the go by the wayside a bit i have no structure i can't even i'm like i need an hour and a half to have coffee and like i love it read the newspaper and do nothing and then if like when i get back into going to work i'm gonna feel like i have a fire on my ass like get going like I love you it. know that's great yeah, no, I that's why I'm asking you those questions because if if there's something I don't want to deal with, I just can it's really hard for me to bring myself around to to right. doing it. Right. Um but also in terms of you putting yourself out there, how do you decide what to share on social media and what do you keep for yourself? So I decide, honestly, I think they both kind of go hand in hand because I think, you know, as the person, Katie Jane Hughes, I'm also a human being, right? I'm not just a makeup robot, how a lot of people sometimes might think I am uh, based on just the production level of content and stuff. But 
you know, I like to show that very raw side of me. Like I suffer with anxiety quite frequently. And I think a lot of creative, creative people do. I actually benefit. I don't necessarily benefit from sharing it, but I, I believe other people benefit from me sharing it because I think Mm -hmm. that, uh, there isn't that much transparency with how people deal with mental health stuff. And I think that there is absolutely space to talk about it. And I think people do need to talk about it if they're comfortable to do so. And I think anybody that feels like they can should, especially if they're in a position where maybe their life is deemed perfect from the outside looking in, like we all have different, you know, mind stuff going on, whatever it might be. And so I think that in any opportunity that I get, when I have a little bit of a wobble, uh, my friend likes to call it, which I had adopted it. Um, I like to share it because it really, it teaches me two things. It teaches me how not alone I am in feeling anxious and how together we really all are in different feelings. It teaches me how much love there is in the world because how much outpour of like affection and care and like concern that comes whenever I post anything like this, as well as then just like realizing that, wow, you're like, this is really helping other people to show up for themselves and be, you know, be okay with mental health, you know, things. I hate calling them issues because I don't think they're issues. I think they're, I think they're fucking normal. And that's what I think is the issue is that people have this energy, there's this energy that like, it's, oh, it's not real. It's, you know, anxiety is not real. You're faking it. You're acting like a diva or a drama queen or whatever. And that's the problem. I think that people think that it's an issue, but it's not, it's normal. We all have different things for different reasons and it's okay. Yeah, there's a huge stigma about admitting that you have mental health because everyone who thinks they've ever felt scared or anxious thinks they're an expert about it when it's really like, yeah, you're supposed to feel that way sometimes. Right. When you feel that way a lot and it's not rational, then it's another story. But I always think everyone thinks they're an expert about mental health because we all have mental health issues, right? Yeah. And that's what I mean about like sometimes not wanting to open up because sometimes then you can open up that whole like the advice too, which can sometimes be more stressful than just bringing up you know what I mean because sometimes you just want to share how you feel but then you want to kind of just like move on sometimes it's like you know when something happens and you might feel a bit well that's the thing about social media is you are opening yourself up right right Right. yeah you're not telling your best friend or your therapist it's like you're putting yourself out there and how do you protect yourself from from the trolls or from that negative energy um, you know, I, I don't get too much, thankfully, but when I do, I always challenge it and I always, cut, I always really, oh, I always clap back, you know, like there'll be random things like somebody, I DM'd, love me. That. <laughs> somebody DM'd me yesterday. <laughs> she goes, great makeup tutorial, but please be bleach your teeth. And I was just like, are you, <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, go do one. Like, I was just like, I was like, oh, wow. I, I can't remember what I said. I was just like. Oh no! I, I, oh, I think I just said I'm fine, thanks, and then just like moved on, because sometimes. And then one time I chipped my tooth. I was doing Ashley's makeup, and I like opened up a Makeup Forever eyeshadow that's um, since been discontinued. It was not the reason why I broke that's my tooth. That's probably why it's been discontinued. <laughs> but basically, I chipped my tooth on this tube of lip, that stuff that I opened with my tooth, and it was chipped for like six, seven months because I just didn't care to fix it. I was just like, mm, I'll wait. I'll see what I want to do later on. Because um, it was like, do I fix the chip or do I get veneers? What do I do? So. 
basically this woman dms me and she's like i think it's disgusting how you parade around with this chip on your tooth you look dirty you're in the beauty industry you should have better standards and all this it was just this absolute like three paragraphs of this and i replied and i just said actually i feel fine with this it shouldn't really bother you that much i actually think i'm setting a pretty good example for people on like what beauty standards should and shouldn't be like if i can pull off a chip on my tooth and still feel pretty about myself i think that's a pretty great message i'm putting out into the world she would not have it she would not have it. She wanted to have the last word. She just wanted to argue. And then there's always, and then again, there's, there's those people that just want to have a fight. And you sometimes then have to just walk away from them because you're not going to win. Right. Aren't you, know? you giving them what they want when you exactly. give them attention? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you're a lot nicer than I am. I thought when you meant clap back that you would like get them in the gut. <laughs> I could go I mean, there. I'm always have Jean Pierre being like, Quinn. You know, just don't answer them, you know? Oh, my God, I like, love go, Don't do it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pugnacious. I could be like, I well, you know what? Bitch, I'm going to hurt your feelings if you, you don't get off my page yeah. right now. It's, I mean, it's um, funny got to go old school space. once in a while. T- totally. And it's your space. that they're, they're, re- they're coming into your home. They're coming yeah. into your home and, like, giving you shit. It's like you shouldn't stand for it at all. Are there things that you won't talk about on because of your brand or because you don't want to alienate listeners like mm, i.e. Really. politics, sex? Like, nah. You know, I – no, I actually don't I, – I do talk about that stuff when I feel uh, educated enough to do so. I don't like to talk about stuff if I don't really know much about it. And I, I always find – I find that kind of content – I find anything around – political stuff quite hard to understand like i don't understand why england has three political parties do not get it i don't understand which which one of them does which and that could be seen as a privilege to be able to uh, to, to not be able to understand it i just physically it's one of those things like it's not in my it's not a natural thing to me to understand so it takes well, um, I think that's why George Floyd was so powerful because it was visual. Right, right, right. People right. have been saying forever that there's police brutality and nobody right. listens. But when you actually right. saw someone's knee on someone's neck, right. you just know that 100%. that's fucked up, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and I, I do think it's important that we all use our voice to – anybody with a platform, I think we should all use our voice to – speak up for what's right and to like make each other, you know, feel included and feel like part of the same team and – to just support one another in whatever way that I think that we can each authentically uh, do that, that's, that feels authentic and like real. I think that that's key because obviously there is a lot of, you know, you know, I feel like a lot of it more stems from the brand side of like everybody posting the black square or brands posting stuff about, you know, back when Black Lives Matter came back up again in, um, in June, you know, I, I don't, or in April, I don't, I, I think that it it just has to be consistent. It has to be consistent. And we all have to just bring each other in. And I made like a, a point to bring in fellow makeup artists from the black community into jobs when I have the opportunity to, whether it's, you know, like jobs on campaigns with product and like, Hey, I, I, I've got this makeup artist friend of mine. Like, I think she'd be great in this too. And like, let's get her in. And, you know, brands that I work with, thank, you know, gratefully, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, uh, kind of went along with it, which is great as they should, as they should. And I think brands have actually, hopefully this is also going to have some, um, uh, what's the word consistency to it. Like I'm noticing a lot more brands hiring black talent for stuff. And I think they absolutely should. Yeah. It's long overdue. Yeah. Right. What was the biggest surprise that you as a Brit moving to the States that you thought about the climate over here politically or racially, or was there something that you just were like, wow, I didn't expect that. I mean, all of it was quite, all of it's quite short. The more that I learn, the more it's like wild to think that like these things have been going on for this long. And I think generally 
it's it is very different. I think coming from a small town, no matter where you are, even if you're in America or in England, I think coming from a small town where there isn't loads of diversity, it's you it's eye opening to go somewhere where and you don't to be fair, like back then you're so sheltered from it. But now, no matter where you are, it's it's available because of the internet, which I think is great. You know? I think it's great that everybody can see what's going on and how we all just need to like stick up for each other and people use their voice when they have a, when they have a voice to use like you know and it's I thought there's a I followed a lot unfollowed so many people just because they weren't posting anything and I and I, I get that there's this whole you know oh but if it's not real then don't post about it but I'm just like you should say something like you have to say something like post it has to but again it has to be authentic to you that's where it's hard I guess Right. Well, empathy can be authentic. You just have to find out how you can empathize with somebody. You don't have to be an expert about it, but you can even right. just say, I'm, I hear you or like, right. you know, right. yep. I'm, I'm alive. I see that yep. something's happening. Right. Is there anything that you like, obviously there's things you won't promote, but how do you decide it in a business way versus who you are as an authentic person? Um, if you get sent a brand that doesn't feel authentic to you, but is a great payday, will you promote it? We're makeup artists, right? We use different products for different skin types and tones and textures all day long. So if something ain't going to work for me, it doesn't mean I won't promote it. It If it's going to work for someone, I will. Because then I'm, that's the service I'm providing, I'm providing the service of information and education and like, hey, if you're oily, then you should try this. If you're dry, then you'd love this. And if you're, you know, your skin's this texture and so on and so forth. So I think that's kind of where then that, you know, and I say that because obviously sometimes I'll use, uh, there might be two weeks where I promote one face cream and then the following week I'll be talking about another face cream in a sponsored, in a sponsored sense. It doesn't make either of them better or worse. It just makes them different for different categories, different people. So I think that that's where, but as far, but as far as like alignment with a brand, like if I feel like a, you know, a brand alignment, you know, yeah, I'd probably walk away if it didn't feel like the right fit. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, cause again, I, I don't think that I would be able to tell an authentic story in my delivery with my content if I didn't genuinely think it was cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, whose opinions do you really care about? My husband's a lot. Um, I like always read him captions of things that I'm going to say. And if he says that it's a bit not right, I'll like not use it and stuff. And I kind of bounce ideas between him and my manager, April. And, you know, publicly, I definitely, you know, there's certain people that will like throw a comment in my, you know, post that I'll kind of get giddy about. And I'll be like, oh my God, this is so nice. This is so cool. You know, like whenever Hung posts, whenever Hung comments on a post, like I'm like, oh my God, that's so nice that Hung thinks this is beautiful. You know, like, that kind of thing is really cool. Like my peers, definitely, definitely my peers and people that I look up to in the fashion space, like my friend, Chrissy Rutherford, um, who used to be at Bazaar and now she works for this really cool, well, she does her own thing, but she works for this really cool, uh, beauty website called 13 Loon, which it was, have you heard about it? No. It's basically, um, Nikkeo. That doesn't mean anything. I'm the last person to know. It's okay. So it's a, it's a, basically it's a website, um, discovery type platform where, there's all these brands from black and brown founders that are black and brown people of color founders um, created by Nikeo, um, who owns that beauty brand Nikeo. And um, so, yeah, Chrissy works there. So, like, Chrissy, I want to have them on the show. Yeah, they're really, you should, I sh- yeah, I can connect you. They're great. But um, thank you. They, um, they're doing really cool things over there. Um, but Chrissy, who works there, like, she'll comment on something that I post that might be fashion related. And because she's a fashion girl, I get so giddy. I'm like, oh my God. This is so what nice other makeup thing. artists have posted on yours that you, that you were giddy about? Um, can you share? 
yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like I've got a nice rapport with a lot of people that I, you know, look up to and that I have looked up to. And I think the fact that everybody's kind of lean, hopefully more people are leaning into sh- social media, it's making me more, uh, me more acceptable to them in a weird kind of way. And I think that who, I mean, like people like Lottie, obviously, and, mm. you know, just people whose work I've really respected. Lottie, Hong, um, Benjamin, Pocky, who else? Oh my gosh. Um, there's so many. So many. Uh, Lisa Eldridge. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. She's the best. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Hopefully, hopefully with a house in the Hamptons, just like you. Neighbor. Um, oh, not the Hamptons, somewhere. I just saw, and anywhere, just like in a house with a pool, maybe somewhere near New okay. York. That'd be really cool. Um, and a beauty brand. I want to create a beauty brand that's like revolves around education first and product second. Like product is, impo- of course, will be paramount, but education is something that I want to be able to really show. Like people, beauty brands, I don't think typically educate with their product too much they kind of show you beautiful mood vibey sexy video but do they really show you how to use that mascara do they really show you how to use that product like down to the nail like i want to really show people how to use something because people dm me and say how do you use can you do a video on really how to do mascara and i'm like what do you mean and right what seems mundane to us or so obvious is not right right yeah right it's wild what you realize people don't know that's an interesting approach to a brand because I think that it's really hard to di- differentiate yourself, especially right. if you're not a mega right, celebrity. Right. But right. the education, it's almost like Sassoon used to be right. such an amazing company because it was all education first and they right. had a really great way of educating stylists. Right. Um, here's a question that I ask everyone who's on the show. And of course, my dyslexic ass, I never say it the same way twice because I don't write it down. Um if you were able to step into a magic time machine and go back in time, where and when would you meet yourself and what would you say? Oh my God, this is an amazing question. Wow. I would go to the 70s. I would be dressed up like I was about to go to Studio 54 with my curls big and full and the craziest but most insane sparkly makeup on and like the most fierce outfit with a big pair of shoulder pads. And I would be like, cool shit's coming, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that's great and then what if you were going to go back in time and 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 meet yourself where would you meet yourself i would probably say something to myself when i was like 14 or 15 about like just being in school and not really being not really fitting in and not really being one of the cool kids and again say cool shit's coming don't worry about it don't sweat it hell yeah um and the cool kids then are not cool now um <laughs> I always play a it game. Is, you say those things that everybody thinks. I feel like you're that person. You're the one that says the yeah. things that everybody's thinking, but nobody says. I love it. Okay. So I always play a game at the end. And I, I'm telling you, the first time I did this, I was like, maybe I'll play a game at the end. It totally wasn't something that um, that I thought I was going to do every time. But now it's become like the albatross that I have to come up with a goddamn game at the end of everything. So today we're going to play a little game, but I stole it from James Lipton from Inside the Actor okay. Studio. Oh my Rest God. James. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, today I'm jacking his, his uh, question. So right. what is your favorite word? What is my favorite word? Yes. Oh my God. Wow. I think my favorite word would be something like gigantic. Mm. What's your least favorite word? Moist. 
<laughs> what turns you on? Bridgerton. <laughs> Ooh, all those booties. Have you watched it? No, I haven't. But I just want someone to do a mashup of just the booties and then right. I'll watch that. <laughs> what turns you off? Oh, uh, people that are really overly familiar, they don't really know you at all. Oh, that's a good one. What sound? But Brits aren't like that. That's an American some, some thing, I think. Are. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like, hi, babe, before you know anybody. And you're like, oh, no. What sound or noise do you love? Music. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, uh, burp. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Dickhead. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Something in the design category, like jewelry or shoes or something. What profession would you not like to do? Ooh, wow. Uh, be a doctor. I think I. I don't think I. I don't think I've got a stomach for it. Mm-hmm. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, nice shoulder pads. <laughs> Good one. I thought you were going to say, what did you say earlier to your younger self? I thought you were going to say. Cool shit happened. I don't know. Cool shit I, is from cool here. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool shit's going to happen. I guess I would say that too. I guess I, I, I would like to be when I am laid to rest, I would want to be in the most extra outfit with full glam on. I want to be in the most bougie shoulder padded, beautiful suit. And I don't know why I know this, but I just, there's something just so like incredible about shoulder pads to me. They just make me feel like I've arrived. <laughs> I love that. Cause I hate shoulder pads, but you know <laughs> what? If you like them, I bet they look good on you. But men don't typically need them because you've probably got broader shoulders. I don't have broad shoulders and I always want to feel quite structured uh, and quite square. I like, I, I like men's blazers. I like men's blazers for that reason. Cause they okay. give me that structure. Do you sing? Yes. Can you sing just a little line of something and then we're going to oh say God. goodbye? Oh my God. This is just so for me. Pressure. Just because you know. Sing? Give me a song. Um, Somewhere over the rainbow. Um, Somewhere over the rainbow. Way up high. There's a land that I heard of once. In a lullaby. My husband's laughing his head off. In the yes. Corner. That was a good uh, good last minute song request. Yeah. Gosh, you have a beautiful voice. Did you know that? Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Deborah Lippman can sing. Did you know I this? I know. And who's, yeah. who else can sing? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. James Caliados. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. James is like operatic. Like James is like classical. Oh. Yeah. I want to have him on the... Um... I want to have him on the oh podcast. God. I was just thinking. There's a lot of time. us. There's a lot of us that have this secret talent. Like David Lopez, my hairdressing, my hairdressing husband. Like he's an amazing singer. And I think there's this weird, there's this, uh, there's this energy that a lot of us have that we. I kind of either want it. We some of us, I think, either wanted to be in the performing arts and the stage and on stage, or some of us, uh, or makeup just kind of got in the way, or like took us in that route, which I think is fine right. too. There's so many of us. It's like you go to the Harrods Beauty Hall and everybody that works there in the makeup counters are all actors and actresses and that's their like part-time job right that's what it earlier like doing mm -hmm. a job to do another mm -hmm. job yep there you go
Yeah. Um, it was so nice meeting you. And now that I know you're um, in Cobble Hill, I'm going to come. I know. And, I'm um, going to send you this listing and get you over here so we can like, you. get coffees. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, Thank you um, for having me. Be well. Thank you. Thank you so okay. much. You too. Bye. Bye.